It was January the 25th, and excitement crackled in the icy air. Beneath skies still shrouded in darkness, 180 children raced out of the schoolhouse, dizzy with anticipation. They gathered in the playground, jumping on the spot, hopping from one leg to the other, clapping and laughing, unable to control the fizziness bubbling up inside them. Their teachers walked with them, with slightly less energy, but also with childlike hopes. In the town, residents stood at their windows, some even pulling a chair up and taking a seat. Office workers donned their thick coats and gleefully made their way outside into the streets and parking lots. They chattered and giggled as they went, as animated as the schoolchildren who were now gazing pleadingly from their snow-covered playground at the southern sky. This was Tromsø, Norway, 215 miles inside the Arctic Circle, the most northerly human settlement on the planet. Together, they were waiting, watching, studying their timepieces and counting down. What they were waiting for, they had not seen since November the 21st. On that day, the sunset. Nothing remarkable in that... Except that in Tromsø, the sun does not rise on November the 22nd or the 23rd. It doesn't rise again until January the 25th. And now, at 11.52am, the sun would return. Not for long, mind you. Four minutes, to be precise. But it was long enough to bring the 68,000 residents of the town skipping into the street to stare at the sky. Those children applauding the dawn were desperate for there to be no clouds because tradition in Tromsø proclaims that if the sun shines on the day it returns, the schools close for the rest of the day. If not, the children join the rest of the town in the market square for a midday cup of cocoa and a jelly donut before returning to class. And there, in the town square, outside the bakery, a 20-year-old student named Sigrid ate her donut and beamed at a visitor. I'm so happy today. If you haven't lived through a winter like ours... You can't imagine what it's like. The first Sunday of Advent 2017, and if you haven't lived through a winter like ours, you can't imagine what it's like. We too have endured the darkness for too long. We also gaze into the sky for the return of the sun, the S-O-N, We are tired of the pain of this broken creation. We have had our hearts shattered once too often. We've attended one funeral too many. We've wept by a bedside one night more than is bearable. We've raged at sickness. We've screamed at evil. We've despaired at meaningless suffering. If you haven't lived through a winter like ours, you can't imagine what it's like. We've been disillusioned by those we trusted, betrayed by people with promises, lost all confidence in personalities and institutions we used to look up to. 
We've peeped anxiously from behind the drapes and been shocked by the violence, the hatred, the confusion, the sheer madness of the human race who, though made in the image of our creator, have exchanged our glory for a lie. If you haven't lived through a winter like ours, you can't imagine what it's like. It's winter for the prophet Isaiah too. Like a child from Tromso, he stands looking into the sky, yearning for cosmic events, pleading for divine action. His cry, 600 years before the birth of Jesus, echoes down the centuries. It reverberates in our bones. His rawness tears at our hearts. His passion shocks us. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Mountains would quake before you, like fire igniting brushwood or making water boil. If you would make your name known to your enemies, the nations would tremble in your presence. When you accomplished wonders beyond all our expectations, when you came down, mountains quaked before you. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Oh God, that you would do something. Oh, that you would look at this mad, bad, sad world and act. Don't you care, Lord? Is that it? Are you blind? Have you washed your hands of us and left the building? Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down like you used to. We remember when you did miracles for us. You stepped into our conflicts and pains and healed us. You answered our prayers, gave us good gifts, poured out your love. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. If you listen, you can still hear those words today. Oh, maybe not those exact words, but the sentiment is the same. Oh, that you would end fatal diseases that kill millions and consume us with fear. Oh, that you would send rain where there's drought, crops where there's blight. Oh, that you would bring peace to war-torn lands and understanding to communities in conflict. Oh, that you would transform the hearts of people who sow terror. Oh, that you would deliver justice where minorities experience discrimination, where those on the margins live in need, where children are exploited, where good people suffer, the wicked prosper, the violent are rewarded, and the victims go unheeded. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down to Jane in her distress, Les in his sickness, Calvin in his divorce, Maria in her unemployment, Miguel in his bereavement. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down to me. If you haven't lived through a winter like ours, you can't imagine what it's like. So how can we survive this brutal, inhuman winter? There are only two ways. We can deny the cold and the dark and pretend that everything is warm and sunny, put on our shorts and our shades and blind ourselves to the pain. We can medicate ourselves with entertainment, trivia and consuming things. If you do, 
Your soul will shrivel and die, but it is an option. Or we can sit with Isaiah in the bleak midwinter, feel the alienation, shout at God and demand that he tear open the heavens and come down now. Why would you want to do that? Because the heap of ashes that we sit on with the Hebrew prophet, the graveyard of hopes and dreams and happiness, that is the place where God lives. In that smouldering wreck that is our naive expectation that life was going to treat us fairly, that we would see justice for ourselves and our loved ones, that ash is the fertile soil from which will blossom the Advent hope. Not at first, of course. Before blossom blooms, creation must endure its winter of barrenness. But that is where it grows imperceptibly at first the advent hope the tiny seed that dares to take root in our imaginations and hearts and nudges us whispers to us in the silence this will not go on forever the days are coming when road accidents will not snatch away people in the prime of life The days are coming when disease will not rob us of those we love. The days are coming when no person will die at the hands of another. The day will dawn when terror will end, when wars will cease, when injustice will die, when swords are beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, when the wolf shall lie with the lamb and the leopard lie with the kid, when the calf and the lion shall dwell together and a little child shall lead them. When the valleys shall ring with the sound of praise, and when the home of God shall be with people. When he will wipe every tear from their eyes, when death will be no more, when mourning and crying and pain will pass away, and when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. If you haven't lived through a winter like ours, you can't imagine what it's like. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. The Advent hope is that God has heard our cry from the depth of our winter and he will act. Not that we know how or when. Human words and imaginations can't do justice to that glorious event. Which is why Jesus, in the Gospel lesson, uses metaphors pictures, non-literal words to describe his return. Not that that has stopped people trying to work it out as if the coming of the kingdom were a math problem and the Bible was some kind of cosmic code that we need to crack. I did some amateur research into predictions about the end of the world. It seems that there have been at least 221 separate dates of the second coming predicted by religious leaders. Starting in the year 44 AD with a man named Theudas who took his 400 disciples into the desert to wait for that mysterious day. And wait. And wait. And wait. 
through to the most recent one um, six years ago by Pastor Harold Camping in Florida, uh, which you'll remember caught the attention of the media. But without question, my favourite prediction was made by a Monty Python-esque British sect. Uh, So according to the Church of Blair, the end will happen at 3.28am Greenwich Mean Time on September the 14th, 2047. The way it will happen is that extraterrestrials in the shape of rainbow-coloured lemurs will attack the human race and beat us to death with gigantic burritos. Many of you will be alive to experience this, and I hope I'm one of them. This inspires me to live another 30 years, because I really don't want to miss this. And can I have extra cheese with mine, but hold the guacamole? But even though we can't work this out, and all we have is mysterious picture language, that's okay. It's a mystery, not a puzzle. Puzzles are for solving, mysteries are for living with. The Advent Hope. The world is not spinning hopelessly out of control. We are not passengers on a runaway train. There is someone in the driver's cab. Creation is heading towards what God has ordained. Even though for a little while yet we must endure decay and death all around us and within us in this harsh, harsh winter The Advent Hope also inspires us to face today, another day of winter. Can you bear one more problem? Yes. Can you tolerate another day of pain and grief? Yes. Can we make it through to bedtime in the faith that God has things under control, that he does have a good plan for us, that spring is coming and the sun will rise Yes, 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 and yes. We have the solemn promise of Jesus. Our lives are not out of control. Time is moving on. It's getting late. Today is early bird Sunday. You know the scenario. You're up well before the sun. Dawn is still an hour away. But as you pass a a tree, the silence of the small hours is broken by the sound of a bird singing its little heart out. What's it doing, you think to yourself? It's still the middle of the night. It's not time for this brazen little creature. Like a long-distance runner who sprints too soon, this bird has gone too early. Yet what this bird knows, but that our eyes can't discern, is that it's nearly over. The darkness will soon lift. The sun will rise. The day will dawn with all its light and warmth and safety. If you haven't lived through a winter like ours, you can't imagine what it's like, we lament. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, we cry. And God, for whom a thousand years is like a watch in the night, says yes. Even so, come Lord Jesus.